Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Well, this morning I just have this thought of how do you describe the indescribable? How do you do that? And in a role that's all of our jobs, once we engage the indescribable love of God, is then we are commissioned to try to help people connect with that. And how do you do that? How do you connect? How do you describe the indescribable? You know, if I say, you know, a baby's laugh, we immediately begin to smile. And somebody who hadn't experienced a a baby's laughter is like, why does that make you smile? And you're like, you just have to experience it. You just have to see it. If you've not experienced the sweetness of a baby's laughter, man, it's just, it's amazing. If somebody's never seen a sunset, how do you describe the indescribable? How do you do that? How do you try to get somebody to understand the layers of color, the, the, just the, the amazing thing of what it does just even to the environment? It's even it feels like all of nature pauses as the sun is setting, and it, it's, there's just something amazing about it. How, how, how do you do it? You, we, we, we don't know how to des- describe the indescribable or measure the immeasurable. And here as we've been tracking through this, this one little verse where, where uh, Paul is wanting and desperately encouraging these Ephesian believers to lean into and try to grasp, try to understand the love of God. And the thing is, is this is something we start and then we just keep growing in. It just keeps getting better and deeper and it's just absolutely amazing. And we can all have this moment where we know life shifted and it's hard to put those things into words. This week, we, um, on Friday, we had an amazing time with YA Nights. And so our young adults ministry um, had to blew out of the space across the hall they normally meet in. They, they uh, transformed this space and, and had hundreds of young people here on a Friday night. Isn't that pretty amazing? A lot of, you know, 17 and up you know, they've got driver's license. They've got maybe a little disposable cash. They could be doing some other stuff on a Friday night. And they are showed up here worshiping their lungs out, man, just putting it out there. Had an amazing young man named Noah Heron who came in and shared an amazing word that, that challenged all of us, challenged me. And uh, it was just an amazing time. And I just love that. Man, I tell you what, you want to understand that we're living in this God's breathing revival and making cool stuff happen when young people get excited about God and they show up on a Friday night, something amazing is happening. Something of God is happening. You know, we can't market that. We're not slick enough. There are people who are, have a lot more creativity and a lot more dollars trying to reach that generation. And man, when they begin to flock together, that's, that's the Holy Spirit. 
this is God doing something special. And so I want to give our young adult team a hand. So y'all are tearing it up. It is amazing. So, and um, so, but I was, was uh, had one of these, you know, indescribable moments um, as I was visiting with, uh, um, with Noah before the, before the YA service. And we were just kind of talking about some different things. And uh, somehow it, it the, got on to the idea in the moment um, when, and I don't remember how the conversation got there, but I was telling him about when Cutie and I first met. And so, and as we were going through, as I was telling him that, I get to the point in the story um, that anytime I tell the story, I, I, I don't have the words for the moment. Because if you don't know our story, um, I had gone home, I was, I was freshman year here at ASU, uh, went for spring break, not to the beach, but to the lovely oasis of Odessa, Texas, and uh, went back home to, uh, to, that, uh, to that space. And uh, with a couple of my buddies, uh, one who was from Russia, um, and then another buddy of mine, a lot of y'all know him, Brandon Moore. And we uh, go back to uh, my parents' home there. And there in that, while I was away at school, my sister had made a new blonde friend that I had yet to meet. And so during spring break, I get to meet said little short blonde and uh, meet her and, and saw her all week long. Saw her all week. And, you know, I was like, I'm going full forward with Jesus. And, and uh, so I was not looking for, uh, looking for a, a girl. And, but then as the week ended and it was time for us to, uh, to come back to, to Angelo State at the end of spring break, uh, we come back and somehow I kind of hugged her by like three times. And so... Um, and find myself back at the men's high rise with my friend. We'd, we would throw football back and forth in our little tiny dorm room and talk. And we were doing that. And, and I sit there and I'm telling him, I was like, man, uh, I said, I don't understand this. I said, but I miss that blonde girl. And sadly, I did not remember her name in that moment. <laughs> and um, I said, it's just the truth. And so we are... Our paths had crossed a bunch. I had seen her all week. I had just seen her. Um, and so, and I'm sitting there throwing the ball back and forth. Well, my wife had, was, when we first met, was not a believer. She was, she was not raised in, in all of this. And um, she was, you know, intrigued, you know, that these college students during spring break were going to prayer meetings and doing some odd things for young adults to be doing. And I was intrigued and so I, just a, about maybe an hour and a half after that 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 uh, conversation, of saying, you know, I, I miss that I miss that blonde girl. Um, my phone there and the, you know, the old plug it in the wall phone, not the cell phone, the old plug it in the wall phone, um, rings there in uh, the high rise, and I answer it, and my mom is telling me, um, you know, that she had just got to pray with my with not my wife, she was my wife at the time, um, had just prayed with, with Cutie that, to become a believer. She just placed her faith in Christ there in the, our living room and that my sisters had rededicated their lives to Christ. And she said, and they're just so excited and they're so hungry and, 
And she's like, I've got to get them connected. And we had a, we're part of a vibrant um, a college ministry on campus. And she's like, can I bring them? Can I bring them to that during, you know, this week? And I was like, sure, bring them. And so, you know, so a couple of days go by and I'm coming down out of the high rise and ride the elevators and the door opens and there is the five foot three blonde lady that I had seen all week, but all of a sudden I saw her. And I'm gonna get teary right now. And I, I was like, you know, and I tell people it was like, the, those elevator doors open, I can see it, I can see it. And I sit there and it was like, Whoa! it was just like heaven opened and there she is and there's the smile and the sass and everything that is my wife just sitting there waiting for me in the lobby and I knew right then, oh my goodness, this is it. This is, I, I, I saw and I wanted to keep seeing. And the thing is, is that is that indescribable moment. I can't do it. I, it's my little bit of description. It doesn't do what happened in my mind and heart justice. Because I had seen before, but there was a moment that I saw. And it's different it's different. And there's these places where a lot of times with, with us growing up in, in Christian culture and us growing up hearing about Jesus, you don't remember the first time you heard the name of Jesus. Most of us don't remember it. It may have been as a, as a cuss word. It may have been a, as some slanderous thing of all those Jesus people or Jesus freaks or whatever, all these different things. Or maybe you grew up going to children's church and Jesus was a story, like a piece of history, like George Washington or something like that. But Jesus has permeated all culture to the point where we can feel like we have seen Jesus. But what Paul is asking us to do is to lean in. And these are believers. What he's asking us to do, and we're about to read this scripture one more time, is to grasp it, to see it. And the scriptures tell us, those who have eyes to see, let them hear. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And so before we get into this this morning, we're going to talk about something. We're going to cover some passages that a lot of us maybe think we've seen. But I'm just going to ask us all in the room today to just say, Lord, help me see for the first time. Help me see fresh. Help me see in a deeper way. And so now with that, let's go ahead and let's, let's see something together. And as we open our notes and we get into this and we're wrapping this series up, that since God is love, knowing God better means understanding his love better. And here Paul says in Ephesians 3.18 that we may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. These aren't, he's not preaching a sermon to people who are clueless to who Jesus is. These are the Ephesian believers. And he says, let's connect together. Here's the truth is you can't understand the depths of God's love by yourself. You can't. You can't. Because you haven't lived all of the depths that it's reached to. 
You haven't. That's why sharing our testimonies is so important. Because wherever we, any of us have been found, it has always been at a place where we needed to be found. This idea, you know, we love the heights and, and to just think of soaring and all of these amazing things. We love the, the scenic vistas and, and the wide horizons. And now, wide is the love of God. How long is the love of God? How high is the love of God? But we've got to get how deep is the love of God. How deep is it? Because in our English language, low and deep is not something that's associated with any stuff that's warm and fuzzy. If, some, if you do something and somebody says, man, that was low. Well, that wasn't a compliment. They didn't feel like that built them up. Man, you, man, they, man they've really, really sunk to new depths. They weren't just said, oh, man, they just expanded. Everything just got a lot better. No, it was like, man, this is, I, I thought they, were, they had a floor that they would, but, man, they, they went to, to new depths. And, and then, that, you know, the concept of going down and, and hitting rock bottom and just sit there and hit rock bottom. And then we find out that it's a fake bottom because we'll find some dynamite and we'll blow a new bottom in the rock. We'll do it. And that there's just these, these depths and we need to understand the depths of God's love, that it goes to this place. He, the psalmist writes, one, Psalm 139, verses seven, to 7 and 8 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? You ever tried to run from God? I've had my moments where I wanted to disconnect Somehow he was, he's just always there. He's always there. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and uncomfortable with being in this space and you're humoring somebody, you're being nice to somebody and you're in this space and you've said, okay, that's great. I can sit there and I can make it through the hour, but I'm shutting this thing off to God. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing this thing I'm here to tell you, you can walk up and you can get out of here, but he goes with you. He's going to be there. He's going to be loving you. He's going to be going there. He's going to, and you can push it off another 10 minutes. You can push it off another 10 days. You can put it off another 10 years, and please don't. Please don't. But if you do, he's still there. He's still loving you. And he's still going. He says, where can I flee? Where can I flee? If I go up to the heavens, you're there? Well, yeah, we expect God to be there. Well, yeah, duh, psalmist. Yeah, we go up to the heavens. God's going to be there. But if I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I make my bed in the low place. Not just that I periodically stoop low or have my low moment. Sorry, folks. I don't know what I was thinking. I kind of kind of went had a little low moment there. No, this is somebody who makes their bed. They're like, no, that's where my nightlight is. That's where my, my stuff is. That's where my all my little cuddly blankets are. No, I, I'm comfortable in the low place. 
I've made my bed in the low place. That's where I hang out in the low place. My Netflix hangout is in the low place. That's where I'm at is the low place. If I make my bed, not just I periodically find myself there. I have a rough day and I trip into a low place. No, I make my bed there. You wanna come find me at 3 a.m.? Then I'm in the low place. You wanna come find where I hang out? You wanna do a home visit? I'm in the low place. And he says, and though I do that, though I make my bed in the depths, you're there. You're there. And I want to say this in the most assuring way I possibly can, that God sees you. God sees you. Not in a scary, oh, he knows what you're up to. No, I'm telling you. He sees you, and he loves you, and he want to meet you right where you're at. He sees you, and he's there with you. The, the psalmist says, like, where can I flee? And we need to understand the depths of his love for us. We don't sit there and finally climb up out and then begin to engage with God's love. That's why I love that our culture has shifted from the idea of Sunday best church attire because for a long time it was all right we're gonna get all spruced up and I get it when an old Christian culture everybody's like I'm going to the house of the Lord and I'm gonna bring God my best and I get that mentality of bringing God your best I do I do and as a believer we should but there was a place where it kind of could shift and it was like you know what I'm gonna dress myself up and I'm gonna go in here and I'm gonna do this this God thing because I don't want to, I don't, what my regular every day isn't good enough. And I'm thankful that as a culture, they were like, you know what? If you wear it on Tuesday, you can wear it on Sunday. You know, because God has to invade every area of our lives. He has to, he has to. There is no transformation and there is no truth to it if it doesn't invade every area of our lives. And here is the crazy thing is, you know, we read this and it says, I make my bed in the depths. And we think of this place of just our human depths. But you read this in the Greek and this, this word depths is actually the word sheol. The best word to describe sheol, best word to do it is hell. Though I make my bed in hell. You're there. You're like, my home life is hell. I'm telling you, if you will pause, you'll see he's there. He's there. His presence is there. And he wants to meet you right there. And he wants to be a part of what's happening right there. And he wants to help move you forward out of there. I'm telling you, he's there. In fact, another translation goes ahead and puts it as bluntly as the Greek does. It says, if I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. See, love ultimate is the ultimate means and the ultimate end. That's what I love about this is that 
we need to be connected more with love. So what do we do? We need to then begin to love. It's not that there's love is just this ultimate end. It's the means and the end. And we need to understand that since, it's, since God is love, then this idea that in him we live and move and have our being, everything is connected and wrapped up in the love of God. This isn't something we see one time and move away from. We're like, I want to see it and I want to keep seeing it. I want to see that for the rest of my life. We have to continue to grow In the love of God, Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how he demonstrated it. While we didn't care, while we didn't give a rip, while humanity says, you know what, God, I think you're far away and stay there. Leave us alone. We want to do our own thing. We want to write our own rules and you know what, and we'll deal with our own consequences. And he says, nope, I'm going to come in, and I'm going to invade, and I'm going to love you when you don't love me. I'm going to sit there, and I'm going to pour it out. And he demonstrated his love for us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And 1 Corinthians 13, which we're going to spend some time in in a minute, reminds us in verse 8 that love never fails. And, And Jesus brings everything back. We read the scriptures and we can feel so complicated, but Jesus sits there with his disciples and he shows us what following him, being a part of him, being a child of God looks like. And in John chapter 13, verse 34, he says, a new command I give you. Now, this is not an additional command I give you. This isn't keep all of this other, you got all of this stuff that Moses handed down. He's, he, he's sitting there and says, here's not something to pile on to Moses. This is following him. This is what this looks like. Because remember, he had already established that there were two commands, love God and love one another, and everything else hinges on these two. And so he had already talked about that previously in his teaching, and now when he's about to go in and establish a new covenant in his own blood, he tells his disciples, actually, we've got this new command. He says, a new command I give you, Love one another, and they're like, it's not new. Pause. That's been said before. Um, Yeah, we're supposed to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We've talked about this. Um, Love one another. Now the standard shifts. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's not your definition of love anymore. It's not what makes you feel loved anymore. It's not how you internalize love anymore. We're scraping that out. It was insufficient, inadequate, it doesn't work. That was the best we could ever bring to the table was to love our neighbor as we love ourselves and it's insufficient. It doesn't work. This is a new command I give you. Love as I've loved. As I've loved. As Jesus has loved. You must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is what it's going to look like. This is how this is going to unfold. You love as I've loved and everything's wrapped up in that. You just keep doing that. You keep living this sacrificial love. And then 
right there, they didn't have the full understanding. Then he was very soon going to go in and do the most unthinkable thing and lay down his life for those who despised him. See, to live in God's immeasurable love, we must understand what this love looks like. And real quick, we're going to look that love is and it isn't. And love doesn't. And love does. And we're going to see all of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Very quickly we see that love is. And love is just two things according to 1 Corinthians 13. It's just two things is love is. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says love is patient and love is kind. That right there, folks, if you and I could walk out of here and put this into practice all the time, we would change San Angelo. Change San Angelo. You just do it at home. It'll change your home. You do this 100% of the time at home, your, your home will be amazing. That you are radically patient and radically kind changes everything. Changes everything. If we're able to be radically patient and radically kind, it absolutely shifts everything. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says, or, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? The same thing that allowed us to connect with God in the low place, to connect with God in the dark place, was his kindness and his patience. And here, Paul's getting on to the Roman believers because they're showing contempt for God's kindness and his, and his patience because they're trying to begin to move on and write people off, be intolerant with people. And folks, we've got to be willing to let people move at their pace. That's where patience is always tried, is this needs to happen on my timeline, whether it's today at lunch, the waitress is having a hard time, um, whether it's at the light and somebody's finishing a text that seems like a paragraph, a book. I really think that an automaker in today and age, we need two horn buttons. We need a horn that is friendly. We need a friendly horn because we've all been behind somebody we know is on Facebook. They are on Facebook, the light turns green, and you're like, and you try to give a friendly honk, but that little bit of frustration like makes your hand extend a little more, and you meant to go toot, and it goes, Mah! sorry. And we need one that's just like, boop, boop. We need two honks. We need the, let's avoid a wreck honk. We need the, hey, guy, wake up and not kill us honk. We need that one. But we need the, get off Facebook. Quit tweeting. We need that honk. Somebody needs to invent it. And so, but it's that place of patience. That place of patience needs to come in and when it's tried because we've got a timeline and we want that things to be able to move forward and we've got to be patient with one another. I've shared with y'all that I'm just not athletic. I'm just not. 
And one of the measures of athleticism is just that fast twitch muscle, just being, being quick. Um, I'm not. I'm not quick. It was painful for me as a child to accept this. Um, later on as an adult, I realized I could attempt athletic things that don't require quickness, but just grit. And so just, I'm just going to do this. And so I completed a marathon years ago and did some things that made me feel athletic, but just as an athletic body, it was just, just don't have one. And um, so I remember when my dad, you know, wanted to work with me and trying to do baseball. Baseball requires athleticism. Eye hand coordination, some quickness. I don't got it. Terrible baseball. And um, so, but then we would be running and I, my dad was like, okay, Brandon, I want you to run. And I'm like, all right. So man, I would just sit there and I'd just run. And he's like, no, Brandon, I want you to run like as fast as you can. And I'm like, okay, let me try this again. And I'm going and I'm just sitting there hitting it. And he's like, no, Brandon, no, 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 run. And I'm like, Daddy, I'm running. I'm running, Daddy, I'm running as fast as I can. And he's like, okay. All right. Take, take, take your word for it. And, uh, and sadly, when I, I decided to do something athletic, in, uh, which requires quickness, um, I played tennis in junior high. And uh, I had to do it with doubles. So I only had to move half the distance and not run across all the whole court. And I just dial it in. I needed something like, is there a sport where I don't move? I need that one. And so, um, but anyways, in tennis practice, we have to run lines. And we run lines and do all that. And I was always the last one by a bunch. And my coach would just yell at me all the time. And then my sister came up and she did tennis year after me. And, and the tennis coach, same tennis coach, and, and uh, said, would tell my sister, Ginger, you're as slow as your brother. And it's like... <laughs> And so I, not only was I slow, I was legendarily slow. <laughs> and so, hey, be legendary, you know, and whatever you can, you know, just make, make it big. And so, and, uh, but there's a place where you and I, we have to make sure we don't create a place of, of spiritual frustration. And with one another and people coming into the church and to the kingdom, that we're like, hey, you need to be moving forward with God faster. You need to be moving quicker. And they're like, I'm doing it as fast as I can. I'm moving as fast as I can. Pick up the pace. Come on. Come on. You'll be growing more than that. Your life ought to be a little more transformed than that. Things ought to be able to shift more than that. Like I'm doing, I'm moving as quick as I can. Patience allows us to create an environment where guess what? Where you can move forward with God as fast as you and the Holy Spirit can move. And the other person can move forward as fast as the Holy Spirit in them can move. We have to have it in a place where patience and kindness wins and runs. The next thing we see is that love isn't. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says, love is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it's not easily angered. And I want us to, real quick, this is gonna help all of us. Because one of the most frustrating places in trying to be more loving is so many times our acts of love have an element that isn't love in it. And it's called self-seeking. 
because there's a lot of times, let's be honest, let's just take it to old school 1955 courtship, okay? You know, where the guy shows up to for on the date, and, you know, ladies in her poodle skirt, guys in his nice in his in his suit, and he shows up and he's got the flowers and he's got a little gift there. And he's showing this little act of love. We're all grown-ups in the room. Was that an act of love? Or is there a little bit of self-seeking in that? Or is there a little hope for a little smooch at the end of the night? Oh, good night, kissy kiss. Was there a little bit of self-seeking? There was. There was. And there's a lot of things that we do that are acts of love that are actually a barter system. That I do this, and I'm nice to you, and you ought to be nice to me. And some of the place where we get frustrated that says love, you, this scripture says love never fails, but I've loved and it's failed. Is you didn't really love because you had self-seeking wrapped up in it. You were using love as a means to an end, whereas love is the end. It's the end. And if we will begin to really understand what love actually looks like, we can begin to actually let love function and work in our lives. How many times do we do acts of love and, you know, and do it for our spouse and we get frustrated because we didn't get the harvest out of it. We thought, I made a deposit, where's my return? That was self-seeking. Love isn't self-seeking. We've got to be willing to understand what love is and it isn't. And it says it's not easily angered. Here's the thing is it's not that anger is always wrong. There's a place of righteous anger. And, and um, as we're going to go ahead and just jump down to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, it says, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. In our anger don't sin. Most of the time... Once we're angry, we, we, it's pushed us to a place that it's not because love has been violated and that is what should irritate us. It's our expectations have been violated and now I'm mad. And that always is connected with sin. We are very rarely righteously angered and there is a place of righteous, righteous anger. So, but in your anger, do not sin and do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Not being willing to deal with our places of anger leaves the enemy. It gives him a spot to stand in your life. Wow. You're giving it to him. Scripture says if you don't deal with your frustration and your anger and all that stuff, you are giving the enemy a foothold. You're like, why does it feel like the enemy's always at work in our family? Is there a grudge you're still holding on to because you're giving him territory? He has a place to stand if you've got a grudge. If you've got anger you've not dealt with, he's got a place to be. And you can't knock him out of it. You've got to forgive. You've got to address it. You've got to deal with it. And then you pull the rug out from under the enemy instead of the enemy pulling out the rug out from under you. And so you've got to be willing to deal with it and to move forward. And then we see that love doesn't. Love doesn't. Love does not envy it does not boast. It keeps no record of wrong. And love does not delight in evil. 2 Corinthians 
5.19 says that God has reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. I mean, there's a place where we have to understand that we can't keep record wrong, and it's destructive. And I had to learn this on the, on the backside, and, and Cutie called me out on this years ago because, um, in general, I'm a fairly self-forgiving person. I'm, I can round up on myself pretty good and go, you, you didn't mean it, Brandon. You're all right. I know. I love you. And move on. And so <laughs> I, can, I can do that. And so... Um, so Cutie would have, have a conversation with me and say, you know, hey, Brian, you know, we need to address this. You need to, you know, there's this, this thing that, you know, that's, that's happened. And uh, I, years ago, I told her, I said, okay, you know, because I didn't know. I was like, tell me five times I did that. Like, Give me some examples. And I, and I literally, uh, multiple times, I said, tell me five times. That was my number for whatever reason. And, uh, and so, and she would sit there and she's like, do you, you really want me to keep track? No. She's like, buy me the journal. Buy me a fat one, and I'll keep it up. I'll give you your list. I was like, nope, nope, you're, you're right. You just say, Brand, this needs to be addressed. I don't need my examples. I'll address it. We'll talk about it, pray about it, and be able to move on. But there's a place where so many times where we have to be able to live an understanding that to not keep a record of wrong, that we've got to free up our people in our lives for the same thing, for them to not keep a record of wrong. And then, therefore, if somebody says, hey, I see this pattern, you don't have to approve it. No, just deal with it. Just deal with it. We've got to be, live this on both sides of what that looks like and be able to function in that. And then the last thing is we're wrapping up this morning. I appreciate you giving me a little extra time. I've been out of the pulpit two weeks, people. <laughs> it just thought gets bottled up. I'm sorry. And so, um, but love does. 1 Corinthians uh, 13, that love rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes always perseveres. And this definition of love, what we've read, what it, what it is and isn't, what it doesn't and does, that love never fails. That love never fails. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.